Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the All About Reality podcast. Tonight, we are welcoming the man, the myth, the legend, the creator of of Matt Harmon's Reception Perception, the nominal Matt Harmon himself. So, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, far too kind in the introduction. It's always weird. It's still weird for me to hear people like say nice things about me. Um, I even remember growing up, like telling my mom, like, I'm not really good at like hearing, I don't know. I'm not really good at like taking compliments. And now like any, anytime people like introduce me nicely on a podcast, I'm immediately like, Oh God, I don't know about that. <laughs> so that would, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking tonight. All right, I'll say some nice things about my co-host as well. Then, uh, Goody, welcome back. How you doing, man? I'm I'm doing well. I heard Matt talking to Matt Waldman on a podcast and to another Matt in Minnesota recently. So I, there's tons of Matts here. So and because Matt Papson's our founder, I I go by my high school nickname on this, which is Goody. So you can refer to me as that. Keep this, you know, not confusing for you, Mr. Harmon. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, we're we're thrilled to have you. Uh, you know, not only only do you bring a ton of expertise you're also you know i i think just one of the most genuine nicest guys in the fantasy community and and very responsive and i know you i know you hate hearing the compliments <laughs> but like like you, you know i i mean i've kind of known of you and listened to you through like when you were doing a podcast with leo howell even who i worked yeah. with number fire and you know we're, we're really thrilled to have you on especially like in this rso context and talking next gen stats reception perception it's so funny you bring up just to cut in real quick. It's so funny you bring up that podcast with Leo Howell because uh, because I'm a weird person. Uh, I go on YouTube like before I go to bed at night and like watch uh, like cooking videos, like Gordon Ramsay run through like instructional <laughs> cooking videos because I like love cooking. I want to get better at it, so this is what I do before I fall asleep. And like on my YouTube page, like it recommended that I watch an old one of those old video podcasts with Leo recently. Uh, and I was like, oh, wow, I'll, I'll, I'll look at this real quick. And like, I watched him like, oh my God, I'm so terrible. <laughs> like, if, you know, this is like four years ago now or something, but it's like, it's just funny, like watching that and knowing now how much more comfortable I am being in, in front of a camera or anything like that. It's just, and that was like a YouTube hangout. So it's just funny you bring that up. Cause I just watched that and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that anybody ever thought I'd be capable of doing anything watching this. But yeah, you're very hard on yourself when you go back and look at stuff like that. Yeah. The content was great though. Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> pardon me, as I entered into this world and as I got into it, your backyard banter podcast was helping me pull me out of like like some times in my life and it, i was struck by the number of analysts that kept talking about how they moved to fantasy and ended up doing fun and interesting things for the rest of us as they kind of dealt with real life it is cool to hear uh, having alluded to you in about the first fantasy article that i wrote you retweeted it out kindly i mean it is this is a nice kind of full circle moment where i can appreciate spending time with a professional like goody and and getting to hear from you firsthand for the first time some of the the thought and methodology you put into a process that helps be a, a thought leader for our industry and helps create things. So awesome. will you speak briefly to that for a moment as to anybody that might not have understood why we're bringing you on? What is it the kind of thing that you do with reception perception to help us like as reality sports online GMs sort out what kind of receivers we want to have? Sure. So reception perceptions, my evaluation or my charting methodology for evaluating wide receivers. Uh, what I do is over an eight game sample for NFL players and a six game sample for college players. I look at every single route that they run in that game. You know, I chart 
what route they run, how often they got open on each individual route against what type of coverages were they most successful. And it really gives you a unique look into route running that you can't really get anywhere else. Um, and I think what's really cool to, to kind of flash back to like four years ago when I was first charting out the first full season that I did worth of data, which was the 2014 season. And now obviously uh, we're into t- looking back at the 2017 season for NFL players. Um, and I've done the last three draft classes as well. The The funny thing now is like, I understand this data so much more than I did, you know, even a year ago today. And that's, what's really cool. I, you know, I, I used to say this all the time. My, my background, uh, what I originally wanted to do was go into get a PhD in social theory and um, a lot of the sociology work I was doing as an undergrad, but life took me in a different direction. And uh, here we are today and now I'm a football analyst. And I always say like harken back to that background and say like, if I was to really present reception perception as like a research project, I I would want to accumulate like four to five years worth of data. I would have been saying that for years. And now we have that four to five seasons worth of data. And now I think I understand so much more what I'm looking at. So what I think that means for fantasy owners or anyone listening is not necessarily look what I'm no longer doing. I'm not looking at like pass fail sort of players. Like, all right, this player has a bad success rate versus man coverage. That means he's probably not going to be good. Uh, that's no longer what I'm doing more. So now I'm trying to like see where players might fit, what roles they might try to play and judge them within that rather than like just an all over good or bad type of thing. And I think that brings much more depth to the analysis as well. So that's kind of my, really long uh <laughs> like a big elevator pitch like we went up like 30 floors there but uh, that, that that's basically what i'm trying to do all right now now that we're up 30 floors we might ju- might as well jump in and see what happens like we're, we're gonna do like some bungee jumping off the top here one thing that i <laughs> i like the most i have to say as the resident vikings fan you have touted every year that i've read you like different Vikings receivers, Cordero Patterson. To- yeah, some of them I gone as well. <laughs> it's all right. It's all forgiven in my world. Charles, I'll even think people like, well, certainly Cordero Patterson was the big one at the beginning, but then Thielen and now Diggs is rising to the top, who's part of my favorite sporting moment ever. Now that you have access to the NFL Next Gen stats, tell us what you're looking at when, you, when you're charting a guy like Diggs, for example, and, and what, what that produces for you, because you've had some nice things to write about him as of late. Yeah, well, let's touch on the Cordero Patterson thing because I think that's a really like what I was just talking about with understanding the data more. That's a perfect example of that because back when I published Cordero Patterson's reception perception, that was the first or the second player I ever published um, after Jordy Nelson. And, you know, back then I really didn't know what I was looking at or how to understand it. Like now with four years worth of data to contextualize it. Like his success rates were down in like the seventh percentile. So obviously, but back then I didn't know that, you know, which again, why, why ideally you wait like four to five years worth of collecting data. But of course, for our purposes, the audience doesn't care if, unless there's like a take behind it, it's like, okay, that's great. But is he good? Should I start him? Whatever. Like, uh, so that, that's a great example of understanding the data more. Like I would have never, touted Cordero Patterson's data based on that with all this in in hindsight I still I mean shoot I still hold out hope that they can he can somehow be used but obviously route running not the strength there um on digs he's a fun player because he's one I have gotten to follow throughout his career you know 
charting his rookie season, his second season, and then this past year. And I think what's gr- what's really cool about Diggs is to see the different ways in which he's been deployed every year. Um, you know, in 2016, he was much more of like an interior slot receiver. Uh, and then this past year, he was much more of an outside flanker receiver. And I remember, you know, coming into the season, there was a fantasy owners were kind of in a big tizzy because they put out like that D Thielen was going to play the slot and Diggs was going to be an outside receiver. And I actually thought at the time that was a better move for both players. Um, and for, because Diggs, I think is a full field threat that can win at all areas. Uh, whereas Thielen is much, he's so much better when he doesn't have to face a bunch of tight man press coverage and he can do that more on the inside. So with Diggs I, in particular, wh- what I think I've just noticed with him is just, he is just, I think he's the perfect player for this methodology to highlight and that he is an elite route runner, you know, this past season right now, as I'm working through the 2017 season, he has the highest success rate versus man coverage at over 78%. Um, that's ahead of only Ant- or ahead of Antonio Brown and many other players there too. So I really love Diggs, and I think like I said I think he's the perfect player for this methodology to highlight. Well, I, I know that Luke could talk all day about the Vikings, but <laughs> I, have, I have a duty to our, our fellow GMs to talk about some other stuff too. I, I really want to kind of dig in on talking about where the wide receiver lines up, why it's important, how they perform against certain coverages as you know maybe an indicator for fantasy success or on the flip side, um, you know if there's if you've seen some recent trends where, potential star wideouts in the NFL that you may be down on based on where they're lining up unfavorable trends. Yes. I I would love to touch on this because this is kind of like my obsessive question of the off season. Uh, And just so everything we're going to dive into right now with the disclaimer that it's a little bit, a little bit of a theory right now, not a, I'm not a full scale. Like I would say, you know, fact or whatever. This is what I think. But one thing I'm definitely noticing this, this past season and even going back a few years is how the success rates for players change based on where they line up. And we this is great because we still get to talk about the Vikings because they're a great example of this. I mentioned Adam Thielen and you know how much I much more preferred him in that kind of big slot receiver role. And it's because just again, when you're an outside X receiver, the split end, you know, tight to the line of scrimmage at every every single snap you're going to face a lot more top tier cornerbacks. You're going to face a lot more press coverage, and that's going to inherently lead to a lot more low percentage targets. Uh, You know, a player like a Mike Evans is a great example of that. He is that consummate X receiver for the Buccaneers offense. So he's typically going to see a top tier cornerback and he's going to get pressed off the line of scrimmage, not get much of a free release. That's going to lead to more tight window targets, more operating along the sideline. Uh, But when you move a, a receiver who's, a big vertical threat that can win in contested situations like an Adam Thielen, when you move him into the slot, that creates a lot more efficiency with the throws because you're going to see more zone coverage. You're going to see, you know, a cornerback who's also, who has two, he has to defend the two way go at the line of scrimmage. You know, I, I've talked to Nickel Roby Coleman, the Rams cornerback about this and his, his just plea for the football world to give slot corners more respect because before the ball is snapped, they have to, you know, they have to protect the right and the left side of the release because they don't have the benefit of the sideline there with them like an outside cornerback does. They also have to defend against a run fake. You know, they have to be more responsible because they're closer to the box. They've got to be responsible for crashing on the running back if it's a run play and if it's a play action, that's a, a big deal too. So 
your targets are just going to be an inherently more high percentage if they come from the slot. And the same is true. This is, and this is the part that's more of a theory, but something I'm noticing as well is that uh, a player like Stefan Diggs, who operated a lot as that flanker receiver in the Vikings offense, where he's not at the line of scrimmage every single snap, where he has that free release coming from the outside position, that allows you to get into your route quicker. That allows you to have an advantage even when cornerbacks do try to press you. So there's more separation there. Again, I think that there's a lot of offense. If you look at the best offenses from last year, the Vikings being one of them, the Rams another, they kind of just ignored their X receiver. Sammy Watkins for the for the for the Rams may have dictated coverage, but he wasn't a guy who was going to get the football a lot. For the Vikings, they just kind of threw out Treadwell and and Michael Floyd there and just, you know, hey, take up some space. We're going to throw to our big slot receiver and our flanker. And, you know, those are two, the two best players in the offense. But I, I think that's something that I'm kind of working through my head. Like, I wonder if that's just something that more offenses are going to go to because with quarterback play being kind of come and go, I think if you are targeting these players that, that have these more efficient plays, you know, whether it's the slot receiver or the middle of the field or the flanker on the outside, I think those targets are, are going to become more efficient. And yeah, it's great to have that number one receiver like a Mike Evans or, you know, a Julio Jones or whatever, but you can make it work with a lot of role players executing really well. And I think where the rubber hits the road for, for fantasy owners is I think the last two, this past draft class, two guys that I wasn't really big on it, just in terms of how quote unquote good I thought they were. Uh, were, was Juju Smith-Schuster and Cooper Cup, guys who were at productive right away. Um, but I think, and this is, again, talking about what I've learned with reception perception over the past few years, this is something I think, like, both those guys went into that perfect big slot receiver role. You know, Juju was that guy for the Steelers, where he operated off the line of scrimmage, got a lot of free releases to zone coverage in the middle of the field, and Cooper Cup the same way. I'm actually just in the process of collecting all of this 2017 data, and I'm like, my God, how many slants and drags can a guy run? Uh, <laughs> so those, again, just high percentage, really efficient targets. Those are the type of, of players that I think if you're if you're playing fantasy, if you're playing in a rookie draft especially, maybe you look at some guy. It's hard to know going into it, but maybe you look at some guys that could potentially play that role as players that can contribute right away or, again, just be more efficient, steady producers. That is a lot to hear. And like one thing in particular that strikes me is as you become aware of these and you're very humble about owning kind of the, the holes in your process or owning parts where that you've learned, which is, which is awesome. And it teaches us all a lesson as, as we try to get better at this game. I wonder if since you're now in the building and talking to people who might have insight into different coaches, do you, do you feel like other analysts give you insight into the kinds of coaches that might use those players in ways that are that are going to give them a bump like do you feel like you have any unique insight now that you're in the spot that you're in and in the building with other people that kind of can wade through the narrative in the nfl or maybe they just help spread the narrative do you, are they giving you insight into coaches that you can trust because a lot of us in the industry trusted or at least were optimistic about sean mcveigh but a lot of people mm -hmm. hammer mike tomlin but they both did a good job of getting their young wide receivers the ball yeah, it's tough to know because I definitely think that with younger coaches like Sean McVay, Doug Peterson, Kyle Shanahan, I think we're seeing, and hopefully, I think the next in line is that a lot of us are, at least a lot of us are hoping, is Matt Nagy with the Chicago Bears. Like, you know, it's kind of just like a generational thing because you think about, I'm 20, I'm 26 years old. Like, I knew 
most of my life with like very easy access to technology and like my niece who's four or five years old she will never have grown up in an age where anything you wanted to know is in your pocket you know like that you it's just you could get in debates with people now you know now and be like all right well we can just google the answer as opposed to like well we'll just have to agree to disagree like well you can't really do that anymore because information is so easily accessible and just the way technology has changed and and how much i think that is going to influence these younger generation coaches that's something to watch you know in in the coming years that's that's one thing i think you can get easily caught up on but there that's not always the case it's not always just like you mentioned a guy like todd haley i think was really instrumental in figuring out how to use juju this past year um so it's not a a a youth thing necessarily though i do think that's a trend to watch out for but i definitely think that you can you can glean a lot from how people talk about coaches and and everything like that it's not so much that like some because sometimes you get people that are hyped about a coach that you talk to at the network and it's because they know them or whatever you got to kind of parse through that it's more how they talk about them and one interview that has always has stuck with me again is that nick l roby coleman interview with uh talking to him i just a simple question for him i asked him you know hey is is playing with wade phillips and i tweeted this out too if you search my handle and like wade phillips i think it'll probably pop up but i just asked him like hey is playing with Wade like different than any other coach you've been a part like a part with? And he was like, yes. And went into this whole explanation about how Wade kind of asks you what you do well and, and puts things together within the limits of your athletic ability or what you do really well. And so I responded, I was like, so it's basically just coaching to your talent. That seems really simple, but I feel like a lot of coaches don't do it. And he was, it just emphatically shook his head. Like, no, 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 they don't do it. It seems really simple, but yeah, you're right. They, they just don't do it. So when I think when you hear how people talk about coaches and play or coaches, especially it's much different than what they're saying. Yeah. And I think it's great too. The other side of the equation is for a few of us. And one of the first things that I ever wrote was recommending to fantasy users that rather than try to like take in all the information that we have access to in our pocket that you just described is try to isolate a few voices in the industry that you trust and try to build some kind of method on building your own game and playing this game off insights of people that you trust along the way. Now you have access to interviewing players that can talk to you. You had a great interview with DJ Moore this year. And as far as creating layup throws, that's that's when you have these theories now that are fascinating to those of us that follow you and like your writing, do you think those theories help to influence your the other players, the fantasy players in particular and other fantasy experts that you're in these leagues with? Do you think that's going to lead some tri- to some trends in like in people drafting maybe wide receivers differently? Like if people joke about the Matt Harmon bump, which I think I'm sure it's very funny for you, like the Colbert bump coming at us for a very unique set of people like, <laughs> in our basements and stuff. But um, but yeah, like do you think do you feel kind of the or bear the weight of that responsibility in, in a fun way when you when you realize that these theories might influence how the rest of us play the game? Yeah, and. I always tell people like, don't, don't just do follow something that I think blindly. Um, because I think that like, I don't do that for anybody, you know, for any analyst, I don't care like how much I trust them. I don't do that for myself. Like I try to hedge against myself all the time because I know I'm very, very, very flawed and like, I will get things wrong. And, you know, especially as I'm saying, like I've had this data and I haven't really understood it all that much. And I'm still not confident that I know what I'm talking about now. Like, I would definitely encourage people to 
you know, not trust, not like follow me blindly. Definitely. I'm going to be right about things, but it's a very, very flawed trying to, it's very tough to predict this game. Actually, I was listening to, I'll shout out my buddy, Kevin O'Brien, who I've got the pleasure to meet a couple times. And I love his podcast, the FF engineer uh, on Twitter. Um, he, he just put, started podcasting again after coming back from a little hiatus. And he was talking about JJ. He was talking to JJ Zacharies and kind of about this similar thing on his show where what he'll do is, you know, if he has an opinion on a player, but somebody else that he trusts has a different opinion on that player. He'll try to, you know, get like 10% exposure to that player, even if he doesn't like them, but somebody he trusts does, you know, then that that's something to kind of like hedge your bets a little bit. Uh, it, it, it's just not about being stubborn. Uh, his ex the example he gave on his show actually was back in 2014. He was somebody that really liked Marquise Lee. And I really liked Allen Robinson, even though he didn't really like Allen Robinson. He's like, well, I trust Harmon's opinion. I'll go get some Allen Robinson just in case. And then you benefit from from that. Uh, and so I, I definitely think it's important to take in multiple multiple voices. You know, if you really like Matt Waldman's work and you don't really like my work, you know, we differ on Dante Pettis and the way we see him projecting to the league. Uh, so maybe you want to get a little bit. Maybe you don't want to go full in with Pettis because I say something or whatever. Like so. I think there's there's a lot of different ways to to leverage off people's opinion, and I would say just the, I would caution anybody against like following what I say blindly because I'm going to be really wrong about stuff. Or and you know you can be right and wrong about a player like within Sigmund Bloom will say you can be right and wrong about a player within one season. You know half a season they'll be terrible, then they'll pick it up in the second half. So it's it's just a, it's about trying to find ways to leverage off those as opposed to just following any analyst you know with with blinders on. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. I, it kind of brings me back to my first piece I wrote for Number Fire about how Michael Floyd was going to explode, and then later in the season I got to eat crow and write about why why he's been disappointing. So <laughs> we've all had the Floyd. Uh, the we've all may had a Floyd take that we regretted. Yeah, no, definitely. So, so Matt, let's pivot a little bit to reality sports online and having played it before and whatnot. Um, can you talk about what years what maybe a couple of your strategies had been and, and um, especially kind of given the context that I think we're all pining for this 2014 rookie wide receiver class to come back at some point and just go gangbusters on the league for, you know, in terms of other rookie classes. So I, I guess can you talk about pulling on, on a, a rookie wide receiver and, and maybe what your expectations are having done the reception perception on how long it really takes a receiver to get comfortable these days. Yeah, I've definitely trended the longer I've played dynasty to kind of fading rookies a little bit. I know in this past, this past year, I pretty much divested all of my rookie picks in a, in one league. Um, and, and I don't think that's like a wholesale cause you could go the other way and like, load up on rookie picks and increase the odds that you're going to hit on somebody, especially this year. I think that one thing I really would, I, I, because I think this wide receiver class is really, it, is not top heavy, but it's really deep. You know, it's tough to parse out, you know, one to 10. And so many of them, I think landed in spots that maybe right now don't look all that great, but you know, in a couple of years, they, they could really be good. Like I think about the guys that landed in Denver, um, I, I think about, you know, even like an Anthony Miller type player. I think he could hit right away, but he could, you know, be even better going year two, year three. I think there's plenty of guys like that. Maybe you don't want to 
And if you need a receiver, maybe you want to load up on second, third round picks and, and try to increase the odds that you find that diamond in the rough. Um, but, but in general, I think one trend that I'm noticing with these past receiver classes, like it's very easy to say like, yeah, you know, we just had some bad, like we had too high of expectations with 2014 and we had a lot of guys get injured. And I think both of those things are true, but one trend I've definitely noticed is that the transition to the NFL is getting much more difficult. And especially for these guys that play on one side of the field in college, like, you know, several of the big time busts over the last classes, the last few classes, um, Dorial, whether you look at Dorial Green Beckham, Kevin White, Laquan Treadwell, Josh Doxton, Corey, uh, Corey Coleman, um, you know, I'm running off a laundry list of guys that have been annoyingly disappointing. Um, all of those guys were players that took at least 75% of their snaps from just one side of the field. Um, that does not happen at the NFL level. It's very rare that a player will even get like 60% playing just on one side of the field. And if you think about it from a muscle memory perspective, you're timing all of your route breaks to just be strictly left-handed or strictly right-handed. That's going to be when you got to completely flip that over within less than a year's time going from the NFL to the pros, that's really difficult. So I'm not surprised some of these players have taken that long transition. You know, the only guy to really buck that trend over the last few years has been Juju. And he, again, was almost playing a completely different position from outside receiver to that big slot move. So that's one thing I would think about looking for these rookie receivers is with that longer transition time coming from some of these basic college offenses, maybe you want to not target these receivers when they come into the league. But several of those guys I talked about, like uh, Josh Doxon, I think is a perfect example that now the crowd has kind of calmed down on him. I really like buying him right now because I think there's a shot. He could be a really good receiver in Washington's offense this year. So maybe that's a strategy people can employ in these leagues, especially ones with contracts behind it is maybe you try to bypass that early disappointment and then you come back on these receivers that you liked and have slowly transitioned you know in year three or year four yeah Matt one thing that I really at first I didn't understand about you was your kind of adamant resistance to to doing linear rankings and how much you hate that and and then (laughs) as I came to listen to you more I realized and one line stuck out for me in something you wrote at one point where you talked about how that uh, trying to apply rankings is trying to apply a linear concept to something that should be fluid or nonlinear. And that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about reality sports online. So to give some context to that for our listeners, and I think I, I, I've really wanted to ask this question of someone like you for a long time, is that in reality sports online, for example, you could have Antonio Brown at, at something like a $30 million per year contract. That's usually what he's going to cost. And mm-hmm. so that, assuming he's the best of the best, you're going to have someone like Juju Smith-Schuster at, at perhaps as low as like a million and a half per year over four years on a rookie contract. And then uh, a man like your own Alan Robinson was had the injury discount based on the algorithm this year. And so he could be extended for two years at $6 million per year. So mm-hmm. that's super nonlinear, right? Now, now we have three potentially great receivers at wildly different price points. And in a, in a, in a 12, let's assume a 12 person like PPR league, what, what are you chasing at that point to try to like, to go for a win? Like assuming, knowing that you have those contracts at different levels and the NFL salary cap and everything RSO throws at you, that's nonlinear at all. So who are you going for if you have that kind of smorgasbord of options? So of those three players at those contract values, yeah, I mean, 
look, it's hard to it's hard to say no to Allen Robinson at the six mil per year. Like I, I love his landing spot with the Bears. Um, I, you know, I I always keep coming back to deployment right now with with the, how these players line up and where they're where they're getting uh the ball thrown to them. And if you look at Allen Robinson, I, I wrote about him with next gen stats and when he signed with the bears and why I liked the, the landing spot so much, because I really trust Matt Nagy to get him a lot more middle of the field targets. If you looked at his target chart with next gen stats, you just see so much of it is deep down the sideline, a lot of t- targets in tight windows, which the tight window stats for next gen stats and separation, I think has a lot more to, until we are able to parse through that more. Um, so much of that has more to do with where and how you're targeted on the field, not necessarily the receiver creating separation. Um, he had a ton of contested targets. He had a ton of like targets against press coverage. Again, they were really strict about just using him as the ex- ISO receiver and just running him deep down the field along the sideline. And I think there's going to be a lot more creativity in Chicago. And hey, he retweeted that target chart. So I mean, retweets equal endorsement, right? So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we see more of that usage in Chicago. So I'm really high on that landing spot, and at that value, I'd be pretty tempted to go that direction. That's awesome. No, that's good. You heard it. You heard it here first. Go for Allen Robinson at the. Yeah, you heard it. You heard it from Harmon. Say go <laughs> for right, Allen Robinson. Right. What a shock! I hope you yeah. didn't, hope you didn't pay the price of admission. Yeah. Um, to that end, actually, which uh, and building on that just a little bit, when you hear about a format like Reality Sports Online, you hopped in, filled in Evan Silva's Silva spot in a formidable league with people like Mike Clay and like and and Matt Waldman and some other folks that have been kind enough to come on and talk to us. Like, uh, what would you say to people that are hesitant to try a new format like Reality Sports Online? Like, why why might someone want to do this in, in this game that we love? Oh, give me a break. Like, why don't you want to try new things? Get off, uh, get off your butt and do something new. Like, come on, get out of your, for one, you got to get out of your comfort zone because that's when you find out a lot more about yourself in reality and in reality sports online, you find out more about like how much more fun and involved things can be. I mean, everybody loves the idea uh, you can tell I used to do ads for reality sports on, on, on <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> I, but, but I'm like, like, you like, know, I'm like, this sounds like a spot. We didn't do this intentionally, people. Yeah, <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm going right back into like backyard banner and a fantasy <laughs> hips when I would when I would do do ads for the pod. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it just it, it like everybody wants that experience of like being you know more in control and like really making decisions and i think i mean there's just no like there's really no comparison to anything out there on the market right now that that does it more than rso and like yeah i mean if you're if you're hesitant like i was hesitant to even play fantasy football back when my friend in high school like convinced me to do it i was like i sound dumb i don't want to do that and now it's like my job so look at it look at it that way you should always keep an open mind to things is what i would say yeah, no, it's definitely a platform platform we, we love and gravitate towards. So I'm sure I'm sure Matt and Steven and Kyle will be pretty thrilled to hear you say that. Um, talk a little bit about so based on your prior years of charting for reception perception, do you have some breakout candidates you like this year? Like like a potential who's this year's Nelson Aguilar, for instance, someone who may have struggled for a couple of years in the system, then kind of find, found their groove under new coaching or. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me pull out my list here. No, uh, I think yeah. <laughs> I, uh, there's a few guys that like, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if I, there's a few guys I kind of think about on the back burner that I 
still want to do a little bit more charting on before I give like final takes. Like Josh Doxon's a great example mm-hmm. that I think could be that guy or like a Kenny Galladay and in, um, in Detroit. But I want to look at them a little bit more. But guys, I have a couple of guys that I've always clung to that I think could really be in good spots this year. Uh, Sterling Shepard's one of them with the Giants. He kind of started to have that breakout season last year. Um, and, and I think that, but with injuries and everything like that, I do question how many targets he's going to get thrown his way, but I think he's just such a good player uh, that I like him, you know, relative to where he's going to go in fantasy as opposed to how, what you're going to have to pay for Evan Ingram in, in fantasy. So I really like Sterling Shepard this year. Malcolm Mitchell, somebody I kind of have my eye on. I was a huge Mitchell fan coming out of college and was so excited to see him kind of take those steps as a rookie. Um, now the receiver depth chart is crowded in New England, but I don't know that they have somebody that can play the X receiver now that Brandon Cooks is gone. Um, and, and I think Mitchell could be that guy if he wins a, a camp competition. Is more of a long shot, but definitely somebody worth exploring. And kind of a guy that I think a lot more people are, are waking up to, but maybe not, uh, is Tyler Lockett. I, I, I see a lot of people, some people are, are definitely kind of getting back in on that. I loved his talent and reception perception has I one of the, if not at the time, it was the second best success rate versus man coverage for a rookie second only to Odell Beckham. And I think that still holds true to this day, but of course, obviously in his second season or his, you know, in 2015 or excuse me, 2016, there was a lot of injuries, you know, he started out he had a PCL injury in the middle of the year then he broke his leg and I think he came back slow last year but there's a lot of room in Seattle for for targets to go around he's someone that I definitely could think I think could be that this year's Nelson Aguilar that people were hyped on came off of but now he's in a much better situation to get to get footballs thrown his way quite frankly with Jimmy Graham gone and really the only game in town being Doug Baldwin now that Paul Richardson is, is out the door as well. So he's definitely somebody I, I would I would watch out for. And I, I think taking advantage of like injuries and everything like that is something that I'm more I'm thinking about more and more because if you like a player like Stefan Diggs, which I do, y- you tweet about him and at least like three of the five responses, um, you know, percentage wise is gonna be like, Yeah, well, too bad he can't stay healthy. Like people are get very, very up in their feelings about injured players and i think it's because this is a t- again another theory i've been working through is like it's like with, i'm not going to get into like politics but it's like with the healthcare debate you know like it's much easier to it's much easier to just never give people health care than to give it to them and then take it away from them it's much easier to just never have any you know hope for the player but then when you give people that hope that you see them start to produce and then you take it away from them with injuries i think it's kind of like the same social phenomenon <laughs> And I, I, so that's one thing I think that like for fantasy owners, you could look at these guys like Tyler Lockett that have been disappointing because of injuries and things like that. And maybe you get into them later in their career again, much like a, a Nelson Aguilar is a great example. His wasn't so much injuries, but more so drops and other disappointments. That was, that was so well said. And it, it's so funny that you speak of it in, in that fashion. One of my favorite articles I've ever read it was on 538 and it was heartbreakingly like a like bittersweet favorite it says that it's the title was the Vikings are doomed dressed up as hope and it detailed <laughs> how like every year they lose based on what's purportedly for the whole year is their strength and, and like like losing their defense functionally just falling apart against the Saints last year wow but um mm-hmm. but that's so true. <laughs> it's so true so devastating 
And this next one might be a hard piece for you because of all the positivity this time of year and you're, you're such a positive guy and it's all rainbows and unicorns for these players. But one of our favorite listeners and wrote to us on Twitter and asked this question of you. Um, coming from at D. Lee Cleveland, Devontae Cleveland writes, it's 2022. What top offensive players from this rookie class, not RBs, so what top non-running back uh, <laughs> rookie is completely fantasy irrelevant and why? Man, you took the easy one is all the running backs because they'll yeah. all be injured or out of the <laughs> league by then. <laughs> you really took the, took, the, took the layup answer away from yeah. me. Um, yeah, man, that's a, that's a tough question. Cause it is, it is the season of positivity. Um, and, and especially like top rookies from the class. I mean, again, if you're taking out running backs, you're, you're, you're kind of just limiting it, limiting it to, um, wide receivers. Cause tight ends, I mean, that's a whole, it's a whole nother conversation. It's a whole nother <laughs> mess. Um, well, Hayden Hurst will be irrelevant by them because of, <laughs> he'll be 40. <laughs> so they have several kids that just can't get yeah. into work. You know, same like, same thing with Calvin Ridley. I mean, he'll have retired by then obviously because he's old. Uh, no, I would say that if any receiver that I would kind of be on my radar for that would be like a Cortland Sutton type of player. Okay. Um, because, I think that there, so there's a couple different, and this is 2022. I mean, my God, that's so far away. Um, it's so tough to even think about 2019. Um, <laughs> I think there are a couple of paths for Cortland Sutton to be that player simply because one, obviously this is not a great passing offense to begin with, at least what we know of it right now. You know, there's excitement because I really like the looks of their wide receiver core. You know, they've got two strong veterans that I like and Demarius Thomas and especially Emmanuel Sanders I've always been a big fan of. Um, I love all three of their younger players that they drafted over the past two years. I like Cortland Sutton, love Deshaun Hamilton when it was a huge Carlos Henderson fan, you know, when he's not eating weed, uh, I think he could be <laughs> potentially a good player. Um, but there's a couple paths for Cortland Sutton to start slow. And sometimes I think when you start slow, it's tough to, to maybe recalibrate that. You know, Sutton, I think, is a guy much like a Demarius Thomas. It needs a lot of seasoning in his route running. I actually wouldn't be surprised if Deshaun Hamilton ends up being a more productive rookie because they have an opening at the slot receiver. I know some people are tempted to say, well, they just shift Emmanuel Sanders into the slot like he did way, way back in Pittsburgh, again, like a thousand years ago, uh, and they use DT and, and Cortland Sutton on the outside. But they could just as easily slide the guy who I think is more pro-ready in Hamilton to be the slot receiver this year. And then you're talking a couple years down the line. I think Thomas – I mean, uh, Cortland Sutton, who again, who I compare to Thomas – he could be ready to kind of produce then, but maybe he won't be. So that's one guy I would say is, is on my radar. Um, odds are, it's going to be more than that. I mean, the rookies are, it, it's tough. Like we, especially fantasy relevant, like that's kind of a high bar. I mean, I like Anthony Miller's landing spot and I think he's a good player, but he could be irrelevant by 2020 or 2020. It's 2022, right? 2022. You've got years I mean, to go still. So. Give me a break. I hope I'm still alive 2022. <laughs> you won't be a young man. It won't be boy young boy anymore. You're going to be 30 yeah. years old at that point. You'll be all grown up. So like that's wow. <laughs> yeah, I will be. I will be. Well, I haven't decided how old I'll be by then. Uh, that's fair I, enough. I, <laughs> but I mean, there are, yeah, there are plenty of players too. Like I really love Christian Kirk's setup, but he's another one that depending on how Josh Rosen goes, he could be, I, I don't know that it's so productive to say like, this guy's definitely going to be the, the most or the one who's completely irrelevant. Um, but it's, it's worth working out 
the scenario in your mind how any of these guys could be. And I think I could tell that story for a multitude of, of these players. Um, you know, I love DJ Moore and I like where he landed in Carolina. I could tell you the story about how he's irrelevant by that time. You know, and I think that's a, a productive way to look at it too. I don't want to hear that sad bedtime story. We're going to avoid that altogether. I mean, <laughs> the guys, the guy, our listener has Cleveland in his name. You could just point to like Antonio Callaway and call it a night. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, but that's talking about your Vikings, like the, like the <laughs> worst team in the world when it's actually my Browns who, <laughs> but that's a, who I haven't even asked anything of, of our, Stephen guessed about yet. That's a layup, though. The, the Callaway one is too I easy. Know. There's, I there's know. like a, a thirty percent chance he's anything, and you know, and then like a bigger outcome that 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 it goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but we're careening towards the end here with you. We've still got a couple real yeah. questions and a couple yeah. fun ones for you. So happy and goody, like ask it. Ask this is uh, this is your complex one. This is Woody giving you a formula and asking you to solve. Yeah, it the for yeah. Us. So, here, here is the data driven one. But a quick aside first. Um, Devante had sent me that um, question earlier today, and he actually said 2024. So I kind of cut the timeline a little bit to make it a little, a little easier because it's like, yeah, who's thinking about 2024 already? But obviously, you know, Devante Cleveland is. So yeah. he, he's actually the person who kind of got this podcast going. So I, I, oh, I do nice. a special shout out to him. He kind of pushed the, the guys and was asking about it, and it kind of got me up off my butt, got Luke involved and, and all that. So I am grateful to Devante for his question and getting us started and, and the success we've had. So, um, I, okay. I, I want you to kind of dissect the decision I made, Matt, last year. Um, I had, I had at that point, I think I had two, two first round rookie picks and then a, a second round rookie pick. And at the 1.04, I, I took, I had to, I'm in a league where there's one basically you only have to start one running back and there's three flex. So <laughs> I had Devontae Freeman on, you know, I picked in the second round a couple of years ago. He hit for me that went pretty well. And um I picked I, I picked Dalvin Cook at 1.04 last year. Then as as things kind of moved along, I was kind of targeting Kareem Hunt at 1.08. This was before Spencer Ware got hurt. He um someone actually was pretty high on Hunt and he went like right after Cook went. So mm. then I had a pick at 1.08. We do an offline draft to facilitate trades. So I was feverishly trying to move that pick. Couldn't really get anywhere with it. So at 1.08, I, I I really liked Cooper Cup there, actually, just on highlights and some other things I had seen. Um, but I like I don't always look, you know, full disclaimer, I, I look at your reception perception as much as I can. But I, I think about it. What what I love about it is I think about the route tree that these guys are running and, and what I'm seeing when I'm when I'm finding highlights online. And um, somehow I got drawn into liking Kenny Galladay. He was kind of heating up in the preseason. Then I took like the 6'3", 215 pounds and, and went with, you know, some hip hop videos and highlights and, <laughs> and kind of got excited about that. And um, ultimately, even though I liked Cup and couldn't trade down, I picked Galladay there and I moved him later in the season. I got Cup at 2.06, so I still got the guy I wanted. But, um, you know, behind that were guys like Alvin Kamara, Evan Ingram. And so I, I, I kind of have a lot of regret about that draft and, and wondering if they're, you know, using a reception perception methodology. I, I know you I don't think you charted Galladay, you know, last year, mm -hmm. um, but I, I just, you know, I, I'm wondering if I kind of was overly high on a guy who may maybe was basically like, you know, projected out to be like an, a Malcolm Floyd type or something. Yeah, 
I'm still, like I said, still kind of formulating my take on on Kenny Galladay because I, I haven't looked at his rookie season yet for reception perception. But let's just go. But let's go with it from like a purely theoretical perspective. Why exactly. and why I think why I think this makes sense. You doing this actually is because you look at the the guy you picked in the first round, Galladay, who I think would probably be considered, you know, maybe an aggressive reach or whatever. I don't know. I hardly can keep yeah. up with dynasty values. He's did, but let's just say like, that's a, that, I'm pretty sure that's a more aggressive than where he was going in most drafts. Um, mm-hmm. So you took kind of the high variance guy there, but I think he has that high reward because I do really think he's a big time explosive playmaker. Um and, you know, in that Detroit offense, there's definitely an opening at that another one of those outside receiver positions where because they have Marvin Jones outside and Tate is kind of their slot receiver. So it makes sense. You take the high risk, high reward, high variance guy in the first round. And then the second round, you kind of come back at the same position at receiver and you take a, a safer approach there with Cooper Cup, who I don't think has, you know, again, the theoretical ceiling of a Kenny Galladay, but is locked into and and there's a little bit of hindsight as I'm saying this because obviously we know mm-hmm. the Rams offense is much better than we all thought, you know, a calendar year ago. But right. he was at least going to be, you know, a high volume big slot receiver. I think that was kind of the consensus about what he would be at the NFL level. That's what I thought he would be. That's what he has become. So you kind of you kind of take the two very two very different players. And I I mean, talking about the Denver Broncos in the real NFL draft that's kind of exactly what they did. They took like the raw mold of clay in Cortland Sutton that has that high ceiling. But then in the fourth round, they come back and take a much, much safer version of the same position at, at, at in Deshaun Hamilton as kind of that awesome route running pro slot receiver. So I think you kind of did a very similar thing there. And I actually think that makes a lot of sense to do that. If you're going to swing for the fences at the position, maybe it makes sense to kind of double back and give yourself some insurance. And it's hard to say anything is safe because nothing is safe in, in the fantasy world. But theoretically at the receiver position, you know, that big slot guy in a good offense, it's hard to go wrong there in terms of the floor. All right. I'll give you a follow up on that with a much more straightforward question for you that helps out our RSO <laughs> listeners. Now that you've done the calculus, I'll, I'll break it back down to like algebra for those of us that are <laughs> philosophy majors here. Um, and so um, right now, fantasy pros like expert rankings hold, have DJ Moore at the, the fifth overall pick in rookie drafts. At 13, 14, and 15, you have people like Michael Gallup, Anthony Miller, and James Washington. So what that means in RSO is you could have DJ Moore at $6 million per year over four years, or you could have uh, any one of those guys for a, a million and a half per year for four years. Which one? Are, which which guy are you all in on at the at those price points? Do you think, if, as for those of us trying to figure, sort out our rookie drafts? Yeah, I mean, coming back to the discussion about like trying to double up your odds to hit at something. Um, I really like DJ Moore as a prospect, and I like the fact that he landed with the Panthers. But at least for immediate production, there's not a ton of room there. Uh, I could see him being the fourth highest targeted player this year behind Olsen, McCaffrey, and Funchess. Uh, I think there's a chance that he could outproduce Funchess because I just think he's overall going to be a better player, uh, even though Funchess improved a lot. So, But, he, I mean, again, you could be investing $6 million per year for a receiver that's going to be the third most highest targeted guy on his team. That's not going to help you very much. 
I definitely love the strategy of doubling up on some of those guys that landed in good spots like Michael Gallup. I mean, Gallup was my favorite sleeper at the X receiver position in this draft class. And he landed in such a dream spot and it's as a team with a team that needs an X receiver so badly. Um, he could easily get on the, on the field this year and see a hundred plus targets in a, in a Cowboys offense that needs help. Anthony Miller, as I mentioned, such a perfect fit for what I, Matt Nagy wants to do with that receiver position. So I definitely like the idea of doubling up on maybe some of those, some of those guys and trying to hit triples as opposed to hit a home run with DJ Moore when I think the odds are, Pretty slim. He's going to give you early production, though, though he could because he's really freaking good. But uh, you know, just looking at it on a surface level, it's tough to see. Well, that's awesome, uh, Goody. Before we send this gentleman out of here with a couple of fun questions, you want to you want to give him something fun to think about before before we get rolling? Yeah, Matt, can you talk a little bit? Obviously, you have a, a pretty fun job. Is it <laughs> what, what? What would you say is is the best aspect of it? Is it is it this like these next gen stats? Like, do you have a favorite one that you pulled? I mean, I read about tight window wide receivers, deep mm-hmm. throwers, those type of things. I, I love that type of analysis. Is that the most fun? Is it talking to players? It, what, what, help walk, walk us through what you really love about your job the most. Yeah, I mean. There's so many things. I'm so fortunate to to get to do what I do, man. It's unbelievable, and I I love so much about it. But I'll try to I'll break this down into two parts. With next gen stats, I think the most fun thing, and I give a little teaser that we've got something really really good coming out that I'm I can't talk about just yet. But in the next couple of months, expect a full breakdown into what's definitely our most groundbreaking stat yet. However, nice. for night for, for 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 right now uh, tonight. Uh, the, my favorite stat is probably the running back yards gained after close stat because there's a pretty good stability to it year over year, especially if you score above average. You know, it correlates really well with a lot of other measures for running back success, like pro football focuses, elusiveness rating. And when you go back, the, the cool thing that I get to do is be able to see, like, filter out, okay, let me see, like, on film, on the all 22, like, like queue up all of the plays where a running back had a defender close within one yard of him and let me watch those plays. And you, you think about like, okay, well how close is a yard really when you measure it chip to chip, it's really close. So like if a defender gets within a yard of a running back, there's a good chance they're going to get tackled, you know, like the, so that really is a good measure for what they're creating beyond themselves. So I love when a stat makes sense statistically and intuitively. And I think that one is probably my favorite so far. And I like it so much more than a stat like, you know, yards after contact, which I think is really good because this measures more so like running backs creating even when the defender doesn't contact them. You know, like if a defender gets within a yard of you, they're more than likely going to tackle you. But you can also put that juke move on them and create a little bit more that way. So that's a stat that's probably my favorite. I have posted an article on the top 10 most elusive running backs using that metric. I did a hit on NFL Network about it with Patrick Claibon on up to the minute. And so the selfish thing I love the most about my job It's definitely doing TV, man. Like it's something I never thought I'd do. Um, It's never something I thought I would be any good at. (laughs) But it was just like when I got the job writing for NFL.com, like people were like, oh, are you going to be on TV? I'm like, I could be on TV. Like somebody put me on TV. Give me a break. Um, And now it's a thing I get to do, you know, decently regularly. Um, And it's awesome. It's the biggest rush in the world. Um, And it just, look, I know TV is a dying industry, uh, you know, but it's, 
it's sexy as hell. Let's just put it that way. Um, and but I think the the real thing I love the most about my job is the team I've gotten to work with. Like especially in fantasy so far, like Matt Franchise, Alex Gellhard, Marcus Grant. Like those are my guys forever. Um, even though life is going to take us different direction. I mean, Franchise has already left for another job. Um, getting to work with those guys and James Coe on the Fantasy Live podcast and Adam Rank who was like the first person at the network to really, you know, there was like, as like a network talent that ever looked at me and was like, Hey, you're really good at this. And like, you can do it. Um, those guys, you know, forever, man. Like the, I'll just, I would say that's my favorite part is the people I've gotten to work with. So Matt, I will end kind of on a, a poignant note then. I think um, with a podcast called all about reality, we're not really part of the stick to sports crowd. And I think a big part <laughs> of what you do in the industry is try to render through your interactions with people, things to be a little bit better and a little bit brighter and a little bit more beautiful. And I, I took another door than you, like you, you took the dream job and went to the NFL and I opted for like, I'm now at the dissertation end and lucky enough to be at a really good university in DC. And so I have awesome. a lot of people like you sitting in front of me every day. And as a professor, I try to convey to them that they ought to pursue what they love and build those relationships and, and form those friendships with people that they can count on for a lifetime. And, I just think one, you should be acknowledged for attempting to build a, a, a community like that on Twitter as odd and absurd and abstract as it sounds sometimes <laughs> on Twitter, like that's a tough road to hoe. But the other fun question we've asked of, of great guests like yourself and, and Waldman and some other people that, that you've looked to to be mentored is, so this is the, the all about reality piece. If you, we play and have fun with a game built on a game, if you could build a similar game based on anything in reality other than football. Give us some insight into you. If you could build a fun game that would bring people together and like get people talking about something other than football, what would your fantasy be built around other than football? Oh man, I think it would probably be food. Like (laughs) because, you know, I talk about like my weight loss and everything like that on Twitter. And like, I've written a piece about that, but I still, love to eat and i like honestly because I've, I've lost all that weight like i love to cook and i mean it would probably be something based on that like because and especially because people get worked up about food takes on the internet man like you you can tweet you know i can tweet that the patriots are going oh and 16 this year and i will not get as strong of a reaction as i would if like i talk about burritos being overrated which is not true by the way uh <laughs> like <laughs> That will get a much strong like people get all up in arms about food take. So there's a a market there, and I think if I was you know someone that was going to design like a game on that, there's got to be something there. I don't know. I'm not creative enough to figure it out, but I think that's the area I'd go to. Well, sounds good and goody. Go for it, man. Yeah, I mean you're you're in the right. You're at the epicenter of that being in Los Angeles, having having lived there in the past. So, yeah, no, I know there's t- there's tons of options there. The biggest but, lie that people tell you when you move to LA is they're like, oh, this it's like a you know, oh, you're gonna be eating like lettuce wraps and like you know lettuce wrapped in kale and seasoned yeah. with nothing. <laughs> like it's such a health conscious city, and like I was here for about two weeks and i was like you've got to be kidding me like you want to get fat in this city you can get fat in this city let me tell you that like (laughs) there is so much good food to eat here it's like 
And of course, the biggest problem is like in LA that you never want to go anywhere because it's the traffic is hellacious. Like, but that but that doesn't even necessarily limit you very much because like within walking distance, there's like there, especially my old place, man. There's so many places I wish I had tried. So yeah, it's it's definitely a big food city. If uh, if you're into that, I would recommend it. Well, thank you so much tonight for all this food for thought. And uh, <laughs> if you want to, if we want to go looking for you, and if people don't know where to find you. Where's the best place for us to point them to moving forward? Yeah, you can always find me on Twitter tweeting about receivers, my dog, or food, uh, or some combination of all three in one day. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Um, and, you know, keep keep up on NFL Network, NFL.com, all my stuff there. And right now, especially, please go to receptionperception.com to check out some of the rookie articles that I've written on some of the guys we talked about tonight. And also, there's a link there to purchase the Fantasy Footballers Ultimate Draft Kit, partnering with them for the second year to chart the top 50 receivers in their projections with reception perception and give kind of full route running breakdowns on all of those guys. And several of the players you talked about tonight and many more uh, will be in there. There's a link again to do that at receptionperception.com. If you're at all interested, that's the best place to go. Such good stuff, Matt Harmon. And we'll be waiting with bated breath for those new analytics that you teased for us tonight too. In the next, in the next little while here, how about Goody? Where, where are we going to find you after the show? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Goody Two. Yet another Matt in the fray. <laughs> All right, and I'm Luke Patrick signing off with Matt, the Matt Harmon, the man, the myth, the legend, food taker extraordinaire. Uh, and you can find me at Fantasy Doc Ock. And this has been another episode of All About Reality. <laughs>